0: The internet is crammed full of information, some of which is educational, some of which is entertaining, and some of which is unexplainable, according to those who write it. Ship Tie in Transit is a podcast that aims to investigate unexplained phenomena and present the evidence and facts with the objective of proving or disproving those urban legends from around the world.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Ship High in Transit the podcast where we debunk popularly held beliefs and stories the show is based on a conversation we had a while
0: back where our friend Ira said that the word SHIT was an acronym for Ship High in Transit because the methane released from wet manure being transported by ship caused explosions and to stop this S-H-I-T was printed on the sides of the containers so they stayed dry This turned out to be untrue and so the idea was born have a show devoted to this subject. Each episode will usually encompass two hosts who will bring a story each which has either been debunked or is unexplained. These are split by listener interactions and quick shits which are bite-sized debunkings which can be expanded upon in later episodes if they prove to be interesting enough or are voted for by you, the listener. Hello and welcome back after a very, very long hiatus to Ship in Transit. I am very pleased to say that we are back. My name is Tom and with me today on the show is a returning guest, Stephen, previously of History of Misunderstanding podcast. Hello, sir. Hello, Tom. Uh, thanks for having me back and putting me to the head of the queue. Obviously, the, uh, the year and a half gap proves that we were inundated with people who wanted to be on the show. But I thought, no, I'll, I'll save the... Uh, This episode for you.
1: Well I I really appreciate you doing that for me and giving me that accolade.
0: No problem at all sir. So later on in the show I'll be talking about the mystery of a file of blood from the fifth century that occasionally becomes liquid again at certain times of the year the blood of Saint Januarius Bishop of Benevito. But first, I'll let you explain what your particular mystery is this uh, this episode.
1: Well, it's the curse of Superman. It's something that goes around on the internet, and particularly at the times when there's a new Superman film out, it gets talked about, particularly within Hollywood circles and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's very few people that can be unaware of who Superman is, but for those that are less well-versed in comic book lore, I'll give them a brief history. Superman was actually created in 1933 Mm. uh, by writer Jerry Siegel and artist Joe Shuster, who um, I believe at the time were students, um, Cleveland, I think it was, in Ohio. Mm. And they sold the character to Detective Comics in 1938 for $130. A steal. Yes, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they actually at the time (laughs) thought that was quite a lot for them.
0: Well, 1930s money, that's probably, uh, what, a couple of grand?
1: <laughs> probably, yeah. So they were probably quite pleased at the yeah. time. And then Superman um, debuted in Action Comics number 1 in June of 1938, and uh, that first issue comic book has become hugely val- valuable on auction market. The Superman property itself has uh, brought in tons of money via radio, serials, newspaper strips, television programs, animated TV series and uh, merchandise as well as uh, the films. Mm. So yeah, what about the curse? Well, apparently there is a rumour amongst uh, Hollywood agents and there has been for some time of a curse on the lives of those who've been involved in the Superman projects. And this ranges from ending of careers to financial ruin, injury and uh, even death.
0: So it's a dangerous game being around the Man of Steel.
1: It does seem to be that, you know, they're not as impervious as the character himself. I mean, Christopher Reeve became iconic as Superman and uh, the alter ego of Clark Kent, playing him in the 1978 film Superman, the motion picture. Hmm. And it was that film that really established superhero films as being something that could be done and uh, not only be a a critical success, but also uh, commercially.
0: Yeah, I think before that, there'd only been kind of serialised versions of both Superman and Batman. I think they were the only ones to have been given proper screen time like that. That's
1: it, yeah. And, and I mean, subsequently, they did a number of, of films that weren't more TV movie-ish when you've got, you know, obvious things with um, Spider-Man crawling up a world. Mm. He's obviously not in, in bad blue screen technology and stuff. But, yes, the Superman the movie actually, you know, used... The name of Superman has been the famous point. They didn't have to have a, an already famous actor playing the main part, which Christopher Reeve wasn't, because Superman, the name, was already a star, hmm. um, as it were, due to the, the long history and the way he'd been iconic has been, you know, the first superhero, really. But Christopher Reeve, at the time at which he had his horse riding accident in 1995, um, was the same as the, the time of, really, the internet still being on the rise, so yeah. it became a bit more... Um, popularised to be discussing things and the, that's I think when the curse of Superman started to become more well known among certain circles because unfortunately uh, he, he had a horse riding accident and it left him as a quadriplegic mm. so that was that was fuel to the fire in the wider world previous to him though that people have tied in is the, the um, other major recipient of the curse which was George Reeves, no relation because it was even Reeves but it's mm. just a bit of a
0: Strange a coincidence, coincidence yeah.
1: really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but um he uh, successfully played the title role of Superman in um, the Adventures of Superman on TV and in film in the nineteen fifties. And as you said, they were more serialized mm. TV episodes rather than proper films. And you know, although he felt typecast in the role, he, he changed how it the effect it had, making him a hero to fans, and how it you know it could prompt him to actually do good himself. And I mean, he even um, went from hiding the fact that he smoked to giving up smoking in order to not be providing a bad example to kids and obviously that was you know a beneficial thing and he could see the value in in being a role model oh right. so you know it's it's not something you can necessarily see as being a a, a horrible thing to position to be in
0: hmm.
1: but in 1959 a few days before his wedding he was found hmm. in his bedroom dead from a gunshot to the head unfortunately Wow. And although it was ruled a suicide at the time, ever since then there's been massive doubts about the circumstances of his death. And his, his fiance and two friends were in the house at the time, provided conflicting statements, and the angle and distance of the gun, along with you know inconsistencies, uh, all added up to the fact it wasn't necessarily a self-inflicted shot, and there was no powder residue on his hands, say, and, and things mm. like that, and it, his death wasn't reported for over an hour after he actually did it himself and there was the gun shop so it's all a bit suspicious is that but wow. you know the conspiracy theories uh, abound about the true story behind his death but the, the most favoured ones is that he was killed one is that he was killed by his fiance and the mm. other that it was someone hired by um, Eddie Mannix who was MGM executive oh. because George was actually having an affair with Mannix's wife, ah. or, girlfriend, <laughs> wife or girlfriend so the actual mystery surrounding his death is the basis for a film called Hollywood Land, um, mm. starring Ben Affleck. Oh,
0: I've not seen that, actually. It's meant to be
1: a bit of a, a mystery and trying to tell a, you know this conspiracy theory story and all this kind of stuff. Mm. It's it's meant to be not as great as it perhaps could be for a film because it's trying to stick to the details and try to make you think, and it's got that based on a true story thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure it's... it's, it's as Entertaining as it perhaps could be if it was fiction, but then again, you know, it's trying to tell a, a true story, so that's where the balance comes in when you're actually viewing that film. But I've I remember seeing it a long time ago, but um, to be honest, I can't remember a lot about it really. There were two other lesser known actors who, who played um Superman early in his um his lifetime, hmm. as it were, and they are uh Kirk Allen and Bud Collier. Okay. Now, Kirk starred in a few lower budget serials in the 1940s and, and didn't really escape the role. Right. Um, and followed it with you know, voiceovers, uncredited roles and stuff until he, he actually did something that's quite common amongst the Superman films and TV series and such like where they co-opt previous actors and actresses and people involved into newer versions of it in some respects and he actually appeared as uh, lois lane's father in the 1978 superman film oh i so, see
0: yeah like the uh the cameos that people get later in life on the things they're famous for starring in original yeah movie. i mean they
1: have that with um, the flash yes, at the moment yeah. where tv series in the 90s that that didn't really take the guy who played the flash is actually playing the flash's father in the, right. the new tv series so you know these kind of things it seems that there's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek uh, like a... theme that DC like to do with their things in that respect mm-hmm. try to keep keep the details in I mean and Marvel do it a little bit as well. I know Luther Igno has, has appeared
0: That's right, as a yeah.
1: background character in some of the Marvel films and such like so i mean it's it seems to be um a bit of fun
0: yeah, it's like a, what they what the kids might call meta, isn't it it's, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and Easter eggs, as you know, in a way. So, mm. but yeah, so I mean, it, he you know, that was where he went with, with his career, but um, you know, his, his career trajectory wasn't necessarily great, and perhaps you could be argued with Superman had destroyed his ability to do other worlds, really. But uh, the curse is, is rumored to have affected him due to the fact that before he died, he suffered from Alzheimer's disease, right? Which you know, it's a matter of, a, of, of opinion on that one. So, um, and Bud Collier voiced Superman in the cartoon in the 1940s and oh, wow. unfortunately um, just a few years after returning to the Superman voiceover um, for the new adventures of Superman he, um, he he died of a circulatory ailment so um, that again is being pointed out as being you know a curse of returning to the role mm. also people point towards a guy called Lee Quigley who Ooh. is the victim of the curse um, now he played the baby Superman in the nineteenth. 78 film oh right okay and unfortunately he died at the age of 14 of solvent abuse blimey which you know is tragic um, whichever way you look at it um uh, but is pointed to as uh as part of the curse and um christopher reeve's co-star in superman was uh margot kidder who played lois lane yeah and um she reprised the roles in in all of the sequels to a lesser or greater degree but she did have a highly publicised manic breakdown mm. in the 90s where she quit missing for several days and was found in a paranoid, delusional state in, in the back garden of some uh, resident of L.A. And it was all quite big headlines at the time. She was diagnosed a few years later as having bipolar. Right. She's cited as being linked to the curse of Superman.
0: Mm.
1: And one of the other co-stars in the Superman films was um, Richard Pryor, of course, in Superman Three.
0: <laughs> yes, of course. Who...
1: Um, Apparently, he's been attached to the curse due to three years after being in the film, he was diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis, hmm. which was very debilitating on him. And uh, and uh, um, when he died uh, a heart attack sometime later, I think that was a, a bit of a loss because he was a, a an icon of comedy and set the, the mould for a lot of other people who saw him as being a, a hero in that respect.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah.
1: Even looking at other people... In the superman films who didn't occupy very much time like marlon brando mm. who um, got a massive amount of money for basically reading cards <laughs> off the back of people's heads
0: <laughs> yeah and
1: it actually showed him up for not being that much of a professional actor in that respect at that stage in his life but he got he got paid I think it was about 15% of the the profits as well as getting paid a massive chunk of money for doing just a couple of days' work. It was outrageous, really. It's mad, but, um, isn't
0: it? Cause, and that wasn't the only film he did that on either. Um, absolutely, yeah. Towards the end of his career, he really kind of played on just being, well, I'm Marlon Brando, I'll turn up and do what I want, basically. Ever since yeah, yeah. like Apocalypse Now, really.
1: Yeah, he, he just, you know, and, and as you say, with Apocalypse Now, he was very much... Um, filmed in isolation mm. really and and just sort of sat reading lines rather than actually um, doing any proper acting that he was originally known for, yeah, so basically he was just milking it really <laughs> and, and on an easy easy meal ticket yeah. to be honest
0: yeah
1: but he's rumored to uh, be associated with the um curse due to um his performance as Joel, the Superman's father, mm. but instead of the curse being played out upon himself, it was his children. Um, his son, Christopher, um, shot dead the boyfriend of um, his sister, Cheyenne, who subsequently killed herself. Wow. And, um, you know, Brando went on to give a massively long speech at the trial of his son, where he basically um, handed it up, blamed himself for, for it all, being a bad father and all these kind of things. But, you know, being an actor, can you believe somebody sat in the dock? Really, mm. that's a difficulty. If you're renowned for being one of the world's greatest actors, can you be believed?
0: Yeah, in I suppose the that's really tough. I'd, I'd not heard that. I didn't realise that.
1: Yeah, much. so, and as I mentioned before about the creators of Superman, mm. they're rumoured to have it tied to the curse as well as um, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. As you said, there's proportionally small amount they sold the character to DC for compared mm. to how much it's earned in intervening decades. They did fruitlessly try for decades, to try to recover legal rights or a share of the profits yeah and you know by the 50s joe shuster who was the artist his eyesight was deteriorating to the degree where he couldn't draw anymore really and he ended up working as a delivery man and there is a rumor that he he did deliver something to the dc offices and and some executive realized who he was and basically um gave him a hundred dollars or whatever and said you know go get another job wow but you know by the 70s that he was almost blind and living in a nursing home and you know you
0: that's really you, sad as you
1: say, it's a bit you know you come up with a property and and something that's worth a lot and then as we said before they despite it maybe seemed a lot to some college kids at the time 130 dollars mm. is disproportionate really so it seems been that they were cursed from the start to invent something that was Massively profitable, but not actually to profit for themselves from it.
0: Yeah, that seemed to happen a lot around about that time. Because as well, um, the whole Bill Finger issue around creating Batman, but Bob Kane taking creative control. It's kind of a, it's a fairly similar story, and it's only been yeah. actually it was only it was on Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice was the first time Bill Finger's name has been put in as co-creator of Batman on anything, comic, cartoon, video game, film, and his family, are, or his estate, sorry, is finally getting. Yeah,
1: because it happened after he um, died, hasn't it? So exactly. So he didn't, he didn't yeah. get to re- see that happen within his own lifetime, no, which is um, very sad for him, really. So that's quite a litany of, um, of, of disasters associated with the, the property and, mm-hmm. and therefore to add up to being um, a potential curse. Yeah. And, of course, there are other people who have been associated with with Superman as well, um, that, you know, like Dean Cain. Yeah. Uh, played the title role in Lois and Clark, the new adventures, which um, some of us will remember from the 1990s, which absolutely. was uh, quite successful and, and, you know, had a several years of run successfully on the television. And then, you know, although it didn't actually make a, a major star out of Dean Cain, it, you know, it didn't leave him in penury or anything no, to worry about. Not. Um, more than, more than typecasting, really. I mean, he did, unfortunately, appear in an awful film more recently called *God's Not Dead*, okay. which is uh, which is oh, which is a uh, uh, massively awful, uh, apologetic for the uh, uh, for some of the more right-wing Christian viewpoints on things. But oh, really? Yeah, but you know, he did appear in things that were more respected, like Fraser and and, Law and Order. Mm. and uh, he had a guest role in in um, Smallville, I believe.
0: Ah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and
1: and he's currently appearing as the foster father of Supergirl in in, um, in the TV series. I Supergirl. had
0: heard that he was in Supergirl, yeah.
1: So it's one of those things where they're recycling the the actors because I I seem to remember in Smallville the um, adopted father of adopted mother, sorry, of Superman mm. was one of the. Co-stars of Christopher Reeve in Superman, and
0: okay. um,
1: one of the other reporters, I seem to believe. So you know, the, again, it's it's this tying them together, bringing in mm. previous actors, and just as little Easter eggs for people, or, or as you say, be meta. Yeah. Similarly, uh, Brandon Ralph or Ruth, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Mm. Um, I'm sure whichever way I say it will be wrong. Um, I think it's in Ralph, the, but yeah. Is it Ralph? Is I it? think
0: so. I don't know for sure. Well, if you say it's Ralph, it must be Ruth. I guess so, um, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He was in the uh, 2006 uh, Superman Returns, which Mm. um, personally I don't think is as bad as everybody made it out to be.
0: No, I enjoyed that as well. I thought Kevin Spacey was really good. That's
1: it, yeah. I think he he did a a good job, really, but Mm. um, it was a lot more damned than it maybe should have been.
0: And, of course, starring Marlon Brando as well.
1: Yes, of course, yeah. Yeah, I had him uh, recycling, repeating the part in recycled footage. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: but uh, yeah, Brandon, as we shall call it, i of trying to say his surname. <laughs> I answer. mean, he's again, he's at worst suffered a bit of typecasting in, in the sense that he's been limited in his roles that he's had afterwards to sort of geek properties, I suppose you could say. I mean, he was in, yeah, Chuck for quite uh, a few episodes oh, at that's various right. points which you know had a lot of meta stuff where they were making reference to various films and comic books and sci-fi so that was him his tie into that but he's he's now part of the ensemble cast of Legends of Tomorrow oh, that's the TV right. series which he's
0: the Atom isn't he
1: That's it yeah which is a role that he you know previously done as guest parts on mm. um Arrow and uh, Flash
0: That's right
1: So you no, know, so he's not really you know done that not bad, really, considering. And Tom Welling, who did actually appear in Smallville, as we as we said before, as Clark Kent, his career again has not been stratospheric, but no, um, not that much else. No, he's he's, he's kept acting. Um, yeah. he's you know he's st- still worked, and no disaster has befallen him. He's not lost his mind or lost a limb or or <laughs> you know anything. So he's you know he's he, he could have been more curse worthy uh, than perhaps it has been for him because yeah. he seems to have got off lightly if there is a, a curse. Yeah. But of course, you know that still leaves the the people I mentioned previously, you know, such as Christopher Reeve. But if you start to look at those things in a bit more detail, um, although it was tragic the accident that um he had, um, he did have a successful acting and directing career.
0: Yeah, he did a hell of a lot more than just play Superman, didn't he?
1: That's it. Yeah, and. Um, well, acclaimed for, for both as well, even though you know, we still usually be the Superman actor. Mm. And yes, he had this incapacitating accident, but to be fair, they're probably more likely to happen if you're doing competitive horse riding than, than if you're not. Yeah, so you know, he, he perhaps increased his chances himself rather than the, the Superman role being what was the basis of that. <laughs> Quite um, possibly, and uh, same, same with um, when you're a paraplegic, um, early death. Really, is, is not unheard of, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because obviously other complications set into the body. So you know that one might not be a curse or evidence of the curse in a way. Yeah, um, so I'm a bit, da- I mean, I'm a bit doubtful to uh, attach that one. And same with George Reeves. Mm. Going on the the most likely theories, which are that he was murdered either by his fiance or uh, an agent of a jealous husband, isn't it beyond understanding that in a culture that gives easy access to guns, that you know, having an illicit liaison mm. could lead to a bit of retribution like that. Yeah. To be honest, so again, maybe not so much a curse, maybe sort of more stuff he did himself to bring it up on, yeah, on, on himself. Kind of, really,
0: in in a way, yeah perhaps yeah if it was suicide anyway it's not necessarily because of playing superman
1: no no i'm not yeah i'm not sure we can easily link that to being a, a, a curse mm-hmm. um, and i mean you mentioned kirk allen and, and bud collier kirk continued acting despite many of his com- contemporaries not doing so so that you know there's so many people who started acting and didn't continue acting so he's got that to hold up as being. You know, if you feel that you didn't have good enough roles, you're still acting. So, mm. you know, you can't really be too sniffy, really. Yeah. Although he suffered from Alzheimer's uh, before his death, um, he did have a good innings because he didn't die until he was 88. So it sounds more tragic when you miss some of the details out in that respect. Yeah. So I'm not sure he was cursed to survive until he was 88 years old, really. Yeah
0: these uh these film curses because there's a few aren't there there's like the ones for the exorcist and uh, the omen the pol- yeah. poltergeist as well is that one or is that I think
1: perhaps the poltergeist yeah poltergeist I think has one as well yeah and I know the omen does because um, Richard Donner or mm. Dick Donner as he's known by the people that work with him who's very well respected by film goers and stuff and other people within the industry yeah. and massively well liked by all the people who work with him particularly like the people who worked on the Goonies and things like that mm. who Still, see him as being like a father figure to him, and the, the, you know the the prize the the working on the film because he was such a lovely guy and everything. Yeah, and I mean he also directed The Omen, which is also attached to a curse, and you know he seems to be doing quite well for himself still. Yeah, um, <laughs> so he's he's not had a meteor land on him or or anything like that, or he wasn't at the Twin Towers, or you know, you know.
0: <laughs> it's funny how these uh these film franchises occasionally like because the thing is everyone eventually dies yes. and sometimes sometimes they die tragically young but sometimes like you say that that uh particular actor got to the age of 80 and was suffering from alzheimer's that's yeah, not it's like
1: there's um there's olivia de haviland um mm-hmm. who's one of the last remaining um her and kirk douglas are the two of the yes. last uh, remaining sort of massive stars from yesteryear
0: yeah I was surprised last the to find out he was still alive, actually, Kirk Douglas. I oh, didn't realize. Yeah. yeah, you know.
1: Well, I think the difficulty is with him is that slowly his, his son's turning into him. Mm. So you look at him now and you think, is that, is that... Michael Douglas <laughs> yeah. now or is that Kirk Douglas 30 years ago? Yeah. Which is it? But yeah, I mean, you know, people, as you say, are dying at a different age, either through some illness or um, dying. What we perceive as being younger. Mm. I mean, Bud Collier that I was uh, mentioning before. I mean, he um, died of surgery ailment, but he, he, you know, in 1969 he was he was 61, Mm. and you know, at that that time, time, really, that wasn't a bad life expectancy to to get to that that stage in your life and then die of that. It, It wasn't really that unusual.
0: Yeah, true.
1: So, again, yeah, he
0: died but dying isn't in itself
1: evidence of a curse,
0: like you've said. I think people like to attribute curses to things because there are certain patterns that people like to find in things. Oh, absolutely, yeah.
1: I mean, there's a human instinct to try and find a pattern. Hmm. Um, And, you know, if if you're in the 60s and you've had a, a bad diet for decades, and you get a secretary it, and then you die of it. I mean, neither of those two things can necessarily be a massive surprise considering the circumstances. And, you know, similarly for Lee Quigley, who played the baby Superman, dying of uh, solvent abuse at the age of 14. But, you know, that was in, I think, 1990, when there was a certain amount of awareness about solvent abuse then. Mm. I think that's when it was sort of became a bigger thing. And, you know, of course, he, he, he lived in Eastbourne. So, <laughs> you know, you can't really <laughs>
0: I've been Which, for there, our I foreign can... listeners,
1: we should point out, is a <laughs> is a, a town where old people go to die. Basic, It's a payment yeah, a... seaside town. Yeah. So, um, so perhaps you know that was that was it for him. That was what really pushed him over the edge was uh,
0: <laughs> living being in
1: Eastbourne, Eastbourne. <laughs> rather than rather than it being a curse. I mean, maybe it's more cursed to be in Eastbourne.
0: I mean, um, that but is after... more likely. I think maybe it should yeah. be the curse of Eastbourne.
1: The Curse of Eastbourne, yeah. Well, I, I go down there regularly for courses, so I think <laughs> maybe next time I'm down there, I'll uh, I'll try and watch myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, the other major one was, that I mentioned was um, mago Kidder, mm. who, um, she actually refutes the idea of there being a, a curse. In fact, she was quoted as saying, and I shall read this, that is all newspaper-created rubbish. The idea cracks me up. What about the look of Superman? When my car crashed... If it hadn't hit a telegraph pole after rolling three times, I would have dropped down a 50 to 60 feet ravine. Why don't people focus on that? So obviously, you know, she's got a different take on it entirely. Yeah. That, yes, you know, like you said, you start trying to piece together links between things and it's not necessarily going to be that um, those links are there unless you decide to admit a lot of other information. Yeah, absolutely. you know, similarly with Richard Pryor. I mean, you know, long history of wild living and substance abuse. Yeah. Um. To be honest, it's more amazing that he didn't suffer ill health or death earlier on in his career. In fact, that he managed deep. to get as far as he did. Yeah. <laughs> to be, yeah. To survive long enough to be able to appear in a Superman film is probably quite, you know, lucky really, rather than a curse.
0: Yeah, because he was well into his career as a comedian by that point, wasn't he? An oh yeah,
1: he was. A, he was. A, in fact, he was perhaps just past the apex of his career. Mm. So, to be honest, I. And difficulty seeing him as being cursed. I mean, he may have been a, a troubled genius in some respects, but I don't think necessarily cursed is the right term to use for him. You wouldn't want to uh, attribute the being a curse of Mrs Doubtfire just because Robin Williams, unfortunately, uh, decided to, he couldn't take it anymore.
0: True, because then, of course, you'd be consigning Pierce Brosnan to an early grave as well, then, and that will never do.
1: See, so we don't want to do that, no, because, mm. you know, you never know, he might come back as the next Bond. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> Although they are talking about Roger Moore coming back, but I'm not sure that's gonna happen. Ooh, Again, to dispel the the fact that the you know, the curses maybe happen if you um if you look at all the details. Um we mentioned about Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, who mm. um, you know, the creators and um, the work. And it's not really unusual for creators and workers to be um to ripped off by big business, as you no, would yeah. as you pointed out you know, quite rightly, you know. In fact, that some people would say that that's inherent to the economic system of the US. Mm. But um, you know, you, you mentioned about Bob Kane and Bill Finger and, you know, for all that, they struggled to get recompense for credit and, and money for Batman. mean Bob Kane did manage to, to get something long before Bill Finger did. And I think part of that was the fact that Bob Kane made deals in order to try and screw over Bob Finger for for his own cause, really. So I think that's why it took a bit longer for him.
0: Yeah, that is what it sounds like from what I've heard.
1: Yeah, and I mean, obviously, and it's not been hidden, the fact that for decades, really, Stan Lee struggled to get the credit and and recompense for mm. um, his creation of a lot of the Marvel um, characters. Yeah, I mean, in the end, although belatedly, Siegel and Shuster did actually get a livable annual pension and, and the credits on the new Superman films as of man of steel and previous to that in the comic yeah. books that they actually managed to get their credit on you know as the creators on the on the front of the books yeah so although it, it didn't come as early as it maybe should have done they did actually win that battle in the end so again they're perhaps more victims of the system rather than a curse yeah that only leaves us with uh, henry cavill Exactly, really.
0: who we haven't really touched on.
1: We haven't really. I mean, he's, he dismisses the idea of it being, being a curse and says it's just bad luck. But, you know, it could be argued that he is a victim of um, of the curse for playing Superman under the rather disputed talents of uh, Zack Snyder.
0: Yeah, uh, he is getting a lot of flack.
1: Yeah, I think he's not necessarily done as good a job as it could have done, really, with the franchise. I think, it's you know, if you want a 15-minute music video for an emo band, then Zack Snyder's your man. Yeah. But otherwise, hand it over to somebody who knows what they're doing, really. Yeah. So, um...
0: Unfortunately, Snyder's style is very, very style over substance. Um, oh, absolutely, And yeah. it lends itself to the comic book medium because, I mean, Watchmen's a really good film. I I like that a lot because it's very, very yes. faithful yeah. to the source material. And Three Hundreds, even though it itself is not a brilliant story, it looks exactly like what's on the page but well, I think he got
1: away with making changes to Watchmen and because yeah. he got away with that I think he felt then he could take more poetic license mm. with future projects and I think that's why he's he's got a bit too self-absorbed in his own ideas of things for the um, Superman films and perhaps that's part of the reason why him at the helm hasn't worked out as well as it could have done
0: mm. mm. there you go Yes. But I'll
1: leave people to make up their own mind and, of course, listen to um, your spoiler cast about it.
0: Indeed. That was fascinating. There's a lot of information in there that I didn't realise. I didn't actually realise there was a curse of Superman until you told me about it.
1: Yeah, it's popular amongst the agents in the, why a lot of people who maybe have been offered the role mm. um, didn't take the role in the past. Yeah. And, how much that is to do with the fact that people didn't want to actually take a comic book role so they claimed it was because of a curse or, or what, I don't really know. But it, it does seem to be that there's been this rumour of a curse. Like that a been around it. If, yeah, and then, um, like you say, the the whole, you know, really behind this podcast is that the internet has, has fueled mm. certain rumours and conspiracy theories and, and this is one of the ones that has been fueled by the internet. So thank you very much, Internet.
0: <laughs> thank you very much for that. Yeah. Right. So on to the next section of the show, which is the quick shits. My quick shit is um, more of the thing you used to hear in the playground when you were younger or perhaps you were told right. by your parents, if you swallow chewing gum, it will stay in your stomach for years and years. You'll never be able to digest it. It will cause you all sorts of problems down the road.
1: If you keep pulling that face, your wind will change. That and it'll kind stay of like that, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: precisely. I'm not sure I ever believed it. I think I might have believed it because I didn't ever used to swallow gum, so it was probably something that I was scared of in the past. And just you know, old wives' tales. People tend to just believe what they're told, and again, that ties in with the point of this podcast. Yeah. The problem with this is that our digestive system is built to dissolve and excrete what we put in our mouths, no matter what it is. The basic building blocks of chewing gum, there's four general components, and the body can quite easily break down three of these. Uh, Flavorings, sweeteners and softeners are all very easily digested by stomach acids and enzymes in the throat and esophagus. Uh it's the gum base itself that tends to stick around a bit. It's made of synthetic chemicals rather than natural ingredients, which is what gives it the chewy property because obviously nothing natural has that weird elasticity and yeah, you know, that consistency, mm. yeah. It's designed to resist the digestive properties of the saliva in your mouth. So it would never break down just exposed to saliva. But once it's swallowed, even the gum base itself, it's subjected to the same treatment as regular food. And after it's recognised as useless by the digestive system, it gets broken down. It's a complete myth. So you can now swallow your gum with complete freedom, knowing that it will not clog up part of your stomach or end up causing some horrific thing later down the line in your intestines or whatever. Or
1: that you 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 excrete outwards and it actually just <laughs> comes out and actually just in, stretches and doesn't actually break.
0: In a big bubble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you start farting bubbles, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, it just it just so happens that that is utterly false. Wow. Be- you say, these kind
1: of things are are taught to children and sometimes it's because they want to give them some scare stories to stop them from doing something that would probably be best not to do. Mm. And the other side sometimes it's because people actually believe in these foolish notions and then either way they can get hold into the psyche of people and they start believing them and that's it, like you say, they they, uh, get a life of their own Mm. and um, the truth to them gets, gets lost, lost in the midst of time and people just accept that you know if you eat a seed off an apple you'll end up getting an apple tree growing inside that's you, it. you You know yeah,
0: that's the other one that Shit. persists the other thing as well is that every now and then a medical case resulting from someone swallowing gum turns up and is printed by scientists or doctors in medical publications well and a lot of the time they're paid for doing the research so obviously there's an incentive for Printing the article in the first place, or coming up with the research. Well, there's there's, there's people who write articles because they've got a vested
1: interest, or that they are actually being paid by people to write a biased
0: view. Um, I hate to break it to you, but yes, apparently so. This is mind-shattering. Ooh. I know, but uh, yeah. Well. apparently, um, there was a doctor called David Milov, uh, who wrote in uh, the journal Pediatrics doesn't say exactly when in my research i must admit but he said that one boy suffered from two years of chronic constipation years of swallowing five to seven pieces of gum each day led to a taffy like trail of faecal material consisting mostly of gum which had to be suctioned out of his rectum this however was never actually substantiated it was published but there were never any actual uh hard evidence, which is uh, excuse the pun. Mm. But uh but yeah, yes. so it's um it has been published. Chew that one over, I think. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's um that's not nice. <laughs> no, no. But yeah, so uh, complete and utter old wives tale. Oh well that's mint that is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not as quick as you, I can't do this. I'm sure you can wiggle these out of it. Aye, but um <laughs> No, that
1: was in That was interesting. To, you know, because these things do need to be dispelled, even within this uh, modern age where you think people would know better. there's still plenty of people out there who have either picked up these things when you were children and still believed them, mm. and are then passing these things on to their their children, and, and you know. There needs to be a bit more thought that goes into these things and people are actually saying, well, no, actually, that thing that isn't true, you know it isn't true.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That thing that sounds massively implausible, really not true. Yeah. So, yeah, that's just one more thing. Hopefully
1: we've saved somebody from from something there.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, the whole point behind this podcast is uh, doing a little bit more fact-checking on stuff that you just take as read, I think, is useful. Yeah, yeah. So um, I believe you've got one mildly associated with your main subject. Is that right? Well, yeah,
1: it's a film-related one, and Mm -hmm. it comes from the same time, really, as when um, Superman uh, originally started. Now, um, I must start this off by saying that I I am not the hugely entertaining Adam from Attaboy Clarence and uh, (laughs) the Secret History of Hollywood podcast, so um, I'll keep this brief so it doesn't get boring and and turn people off, because, you know, if you want proper movie history of quality Then, as we both will happily tell people, he's the man he that, to the go to. He's the guy to
0: go to, for sure.
1: A quarter of a million downloads, can't be wrong.
0: Although it's not all about numbers. You are it's just as about, knowledgeable, it's, it's, sir. You're just as knowledgeable.
1: It's, it's not all about size, no. That's why I keep telling her. Um, that's
0: precisely it.
1: So, but, um, yes, Alice Brady, was who I wanted to mention, um, who was American film actress, mm-hmm. who managed to make a successful transition from the silent era as a star into the talkies as okay. they became now
0: that was quite rare i think wasn't it
1: yeah there was there was a number of them who looked quite glamorous and, and everything and then when they started speaking on camera they had quite a like a broad brooklyn guttural accent or, or whatever and and it, or the you know it totally spoiled the effect, yeah so some of them lost out in that respect because they you know they had to then survive with people knowing that their looks didn't match their voice yeah. and uh, so it was quite rare unfortunately but she she managed to have a, a successful career of twenty five years really wow, which was again unusual dying at the age of forty six unfortunately, wow. but her, her successful career really culminated in in nineteen thirty seven which is where the link was because that's when Superman we started in print round then. Nice. And she won an Academy Award for the best supporting actress for a role as Mrs. O'Leary in a film called In Old Chicago mm. which I believe is about a fire that happened and wiped out quite a significant portion of Chicago and there was some Conspiracy theories about, you know, somebody started it and it was possibly Mrs. O'Leary's cow and all these
0: kind of <laughs>
1: weird things. So, this is where, where it's, it's quite an odd film in, in that respect, the actual premise of it. But right. um, apparently, it's a very entertaining film and her performance is obviously noteworthy sure. um, since she won an Academy Award for it. But un- sadly, at the time of the awarding ceremony, she was unable to attend hmm. because she was ill. Now, um, at the time, there was some reports around that it was because she'd broken her ankle. But in actual fact, it was that she had cancer, unfortunately. Right. So when the win was announced, the gentleman went up on stage to accept the award on her behalf. The only thing was that um, he was completely unknown to Alex Brady. Hmm. And seemingly everyone else at the ceremony as well, he was completely unknown to. And he um, soon disappeared before the end of the ceremony uh, with the award and was never seen again. Oh, wow. So um, the the award, unlike a number of other Academy Awards that have been stolen over the years, mm. never surfaced again, um, which does make it uh, quite unusual.
0: So it never found its way onto the black market. It, it never it never
1: appeared on the black market, it never appeared on the TV series Porn Stars, and it's never even made it onto eBay. Wow. Which is shocking. You would have thought one of those would have managed to actually uh, have, have caught it through the net at some point, but seemingly not. Yeah. Um, I think... Uh, people check Gumtree, though, you never know your chances. But she died a little over a year later, unfortunately, due to the cancer, which is very tragic, really. Mm. Um, And the Academy did replace the award with a smaller version. But unfortunately, and this is the uh, tragic footnote, really, to this whole thing, is that the replacement actually correctly attributed her win to 1938, not
0: 1937. Oh. So, ouch, really. That's, yeah... I mean, it's nice that they gave her a replacement statue, but not so great for the uh, mistake. So yes, um, that was that's
1: the mystery of the lost awards.
0: I see. I wonder whether it will ever turn up. Well, this is the
1: thing. I mean, you you imagine that it wasn't necessarily made out of a precious metal of description. So uh, melting it down for use, there's not really any point. Yeah. Resale value, you know, it's never surfaced. And you thought I would have thought after all this time, somebody may have popped up and and said some ancestor of theirs came into possession of it and maybe they were a bit dodgy and, and at least, you know, they could actually fess up to it yeah. or at least, you know, point out they exist and get a couple of minutes of fame out of it or, you know, hmm. put it in the museum or something. But it seems like neither of those two things have happened and it seems to be still disappeared. So it may be in somebody's attic somewhere in LA and, and yet to be discovered, but... How old? And again, uh, who knows where it may have gone. Yeah. It um, it may be just that it's cursed. Maybe. Yeah, maybe it, it fell into the hands of somebody to do with Superman. Maybe that's <laughs> what happened. Yeah. So that was the little mystery of the Missing Academy Award.
0: Mm. It's just interesting that there's a person who could infiltrate the Oscars, get up on stage, though no one knew who they were, on behalf of someone. Like, how did yeah, that even get... It, yeah. Well, I think <laughs> in those days it wasn't such a lavish
1: event where, you know, mm. it was televised. It was a lot smaller, sort of just a, a dinner so I think it was, it was easier for somebody to be there without them necessarily being specially invited as a star or anything, yeah. but still you would imagine that somebody else who was there would have known who this person was mm. because, you know, you how could somebody just turn up to an event on their own and leave without anybody ever in, ever having spoken to them or know who they are? <laughs> it, was, it all seems a bit, a bit, a bit suspicious to me. So somebody else maybe knew they'd done it and thought, right, well, I'm going to keep quiet about who they are. but. Still, the award uh, was unfortunately stolen and... Um,
0: Remains yeah, missing.
1: Yeah, she, uh, she unfortunately died before, um, before it was recovered and uh, had to do with a, a rather incorrect replacement.
0: Perhaps it's still out there. So um, my main story this episode, as I said at the very beginning of the, of the show, it centres around a religious artefact, a vial of blood from St Januarius... Now, three times a year, in May, September and December, crowds of worshippers gather in the Cathedral of Naples in Italy, hoping to witness a miracle. They come to see whether the blood of the city's patron saint, Saint Januarius, will liquefy in its glass vial, and it has done on most occasions since the Middle Ages. Januarius, Bishop of Benevito, was martyred in around 305 BC, near Naples, and according to legend, because details around his life and death are a little bit sketchy, because like, obviously it's a very long time ago that this guy died, the emperor of the region had prepared for him the standard fate of Christian converts, which was death in an arena full of starving wild beasts, lions and such. But the animals faced with such holiness held back at Januarius and he had to be dispatched by the executioner instead. In the 5th century, his body was brought to Naples along with two files of his blood which had been buried with him. Saving martyrs' blood is apparently a common practice in the early church. They don't do it so much anymore with saints.
1: That's a shame for Mother (laughs) Teresa.
0: Yeah, I know. You'd think they would want to hold on to a bit just to do these quite public displays of miracle dealing.
1: Yes, the miracles, of course. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, a cult soon sprang up, and Januarius was made patron saint of Naples. Later, his relics were housed in the cathedral in Naples, where the blood and the saint's severed head are kept in a special chapel. Uh, The rest of his body lies in a crypt. I've never really understood, because I'm from a Catholic upbringing. I went to Catholic school from four to eighteen and there is an abbey around here that we used to visit as a school. And there is um, the head of a saint kept in a vault in the middle of uh, one of the rooms there. And I never understood why it is they keep things like heads. They they take the head from the saint and keep them locked up for people to kind of gawp at.
1: I don't know. I mean, I know there's fingernails and mm. even be and things yeah. are, are around as various relics from the past, but now they've actually tried to put those ones away in a storage room rather than <laughs> admit they've got them. But um, I know there are some of the saints, their hearts or whatever, there's three places claiming to have the hearts of certain saints. Mm. And you think, well, did the saint have three hearts? Or...
0: <laughs> yeah, because there are certain religions where the corpse should be kept intact or if it's not intact, everything should be buried together. <laughs> It just seems that Catholics are less bothered about that, or at least the early church was anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the things that was seized upon by the Protestants when they were going down their separate avenue, mm. the, the the idolatry mm. of um, not just the Virgin Mary, but also of, of items like this, which is why churches were stripped down to being incredibly basic mm. for the, um, the early Protestant churches, such as the Church of England things, because they were wanting to remove a lot of this sort of venerating artifacts and relics of of saints and such like who were actually being held up and worshipped rather than supposedly meant to be worshipping um god god and um and that jesus fella yeah
0: and the spirit
1: yes yes all three of don't them don't forget the they?
0: spirit all three and one yeah now the liquefaction of the blood uh the first account of this happening dates back to 1389 a 1,000 years or so after the death of Januarius, uh, an anonymous diarist wrote, On the 17th day there was a great procession to mark the miracle wrought by our divine Lord with the blood of St Januarius. The blood which is kept in a phial turned into liquid just as if it had been in the living body of Januarius on that very day. And today crowds in the cathedral and millions watching on television expect more from the blood than liquefaction. Despite raised eyebrows from the Vatican, from the Vatican even, uh, they (laughs) believe that an oracle which foretells the future for Neapolitans, people from Naples, if the... Not the ice cream, no. (laughs) Although I think there's a connection somewhere. Uh, If the blood fails to liquefy, disaster will surely follow. The eruption of Vesuvius back in 1631 in which more than 3,000 people died is said to have followed a ceremony at which the blood stayed solid. One modern-day observer, Rev. Dr. James Bentley, has described the liquefaction. On each occasion the ceremony is the same. The martyr's head is exposed on its altar. Then a priest brings the blood close to this sacred relic while the people pray. As if to display the saints complete control over the miracle, the process of liquefaction is erratic. If nothing happens, the anxious priests will turn the glass vials upside down for a while. But if all goes well, the thick black liquid ceases to congeal in the sides of the glass. It turns red. Sometimes it froths. At other times, it increases in volume. The priest proclaims then, This miracle has occurred. The people sing, We praise thee, O God, and those allowed inside the chapel reverently kiss the phial. Believers have a simple theory to explain the phenomenon. They say that it is the work of God moving in his mysterious way, proof that St Januarius still cares for the people of Naples. Scientists have been more sceptical. Surprise, surprise. But their investigations have been hampered by the refusal of the church authorities to allow them to take samples from the files. Some have suggested the blood contains wax which melts in the priest's warm hands, thus producing the effect of liquefaction. A more recent theory dismisses the blood as nothing more than a mixture of ox bile and glauber salts. So it's interesting, you know, scientists obviously very theoretical and they want to get concrete results, but the church won't turn the files over for them for study.
1: It's almost as if one of them bases what they think on evidence. And the other one actually wants a lack of evidence mm. so they can keep believing what is blatantly not true. In
0: faith, indeed. Mm. The doctoring of religious relics was certainly known in the Middle Ages. For example, the monks of Canterbury are said to have watered down the blood of the martyred St. Thomas Becket. So lucrative was the market for it among its followers. So, to sell off files of blood from Thomas Becket, they would water it down and sell it on.
1: I bet it became like homeopathic medicine, where there <laughs> Almost, was only one part yeah. <laughs> to every, every 2,000 or something.
0: In October 1991, the scientific journal Nature published a letter from three Italian scientists who argued there was nothing miraculous about the liquefaction. They had conducted a remarkable experiment to back up their theory that the blood had been concocted by an ingenious medieval trickster. According to the scientists, the key mystery is something called thrixotropy, I've never heard of it before. It's T-H-I-X-O-T-R-O-P-Y. This, they examined, is the property of certain gels to liquefy when stirred or vibrated and to solidify again when left to stand. So a little bit, I guess, like a non-Newtonian liquid. Like custard? Yeah. Yeah. They had noticed that a great deal of shaking and turning of the glass file went on during the religious ritual. Exactly the kind of conditions needed to loosen a thixotropic gel. Today, most household cupboards contain at least one thixotropic mixture, which even the smallest child knows must be vigorously shaken to make it flow from the bottle, like ketchup, for example.
1: Yeah, when you were saying before about how the priests were actually shaking it, I was imagining them turning it upside (laughs) down and slapping it it on on the bum to to make it come out,
0: yeah. yeah. So that rings true then, yeah. And ketchup is red, blood is red. Wow, you've cracked it. I know. I think that I might have come up with the answer already. The scientists were not suggesting, however, that San Janueras' blood is tomato ketchup. Oh, damn. Oh. See? Nor did they believe that conscious cheating was involved on the part of the priests. Indeed... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because they can be trusted. (laughs) Indeed, inadvertent liquefaction events had been observed many times over the centuries during handling for repairs to the case that holds the sealed vial. The scientists set out to discover whether they could reproduce thixotropic gel, which looked and behaved like the blood of St Januarius, using ingredients which would have been available to a forger operating in the 14th century when the phenomenon was first reported. They came up with a cocktail which included sea salt, crushed marble and calcium carbonate, and the final touch to provide the correct colouring was a dash of ferric chloride, which can be found near Naples on the rim of the Vesuvius volcano. Ah. After distilling the mixture and shaking the scientists produced the best visual match to the contents of the Naples vial, because of course they didn't have access to it because the priests wouldn't allow them to The Italian scientists' findings caused a flurry of interest in newspapers throughout the world, but it's unlikely to dent the faith of the pilgrims who three times a year as the priests raise the vial of blood in Naples Cathedral, hope and believe their patron saint will still work miracles for them from paradise So this is one of those cases where it's science versus religion it's hard evidence versus faith and yeah uh, I know that you are an atheist sir uh... yes
1: I don't think there's much dispute about,
0: about <laughs> that I don't think it's
1: it's very well hidden no
0: and I, I as I stated before I grew up in Catholic education for the whole of the first part of my life and maybe I believed at one point but I'm slightly more agnostic now I don't really know what I believe if anything at all and whatever people have faith in whatever brings them comfort that's fine but in this particular case scientists have recreated through minerals and various methods available to people in the 1300s to recreate the effect that this blood produces kind of lends credence towards the scientists and bearing in mind that they did this without being able to test the file of blood in the first place, it just shows that there's a strong argument to say that that file of blood possibly isn't a file of blood.
1: Yeah. And, you know, if you were going to be questioning it as well, you'd wonder why. The the sign that this saint was still watching over people, Mm. why it was not something a bit more obvious that he was still watching over them, rather than, you know, that that it's a sign they have to try and interpret. And, you know, how are they interpreting that meaning just from the vial of blood? changing its consistency yeah. is, is is questionable why why that is taken as that, that kind of symbol. And also, you would imagine that, given his name, you would expect that one of the times it changed would be in January. Yeah, that's true. So, um,
0: it is a bit of a strange one, isn't it? How it's uh, May, December, and yeah. October.
1: And you've also got to bear in mind that the name originates from the Roman god Janus, mm. which was a god renowned for having two faces.
0: That is a very good point, one which I did not... Even consider
1: so, um, you know, picking holes, uh, which (laughs) I want to do. um, You know, can you believe what you're being told? Uh, Even if it is a message through blood Mm. from somebody who's named after somebody who's too faced. I think that it's a bit of a too subtle a a, a sign, really. If you're going to be sending a message from beyond the grave, you might pick a bit more obvious a message. um, Even if you were going to just put your face on some toast.
0: But also that the Vatican itself raises an eyebrow at this particular one as well. That kind of rings some alarm bells, surely. It
1: it would do, although, obviously, the Vatican is more likely to question something that isn't necessarily bringing profit to itself. So, you know, they want to have the monopoly on miracles. So unless they've got a share of this, then they're more likely to point to it as being a fake, I think. Quite possibly. So, But you never know; they might have some other motive. They might have some evidence in their libraries that point towards it not being the case. They might have an ancient recipe book to say say how to how to make ketchup in the in the
0: (laughs) in the the early Middle Ages or
1: something. Yeah, but who you know? And maybe they know something we don't. Well, um, apart from about scandals.
0: Again, unfortunately, it will kind of remain a mystery because we're never going to be able to get our hands on that vial of blood. Probably not, no. But scientists have come close to recreating something very similar, so... Yeah, which
1: sort of takes the wind out of the sails of it been a, a miracle when somebody yeah. else can, can do it quite easily.
0: And I also wonder how many times when the blood didn't liquefy, how many times there was a big disaster around the city, like Vesuvius that one time that's cited.
1: Yeah. When one incident does not make a... a a pattern no. no,
0: and as we found out from your story earlier on humans want to find a pattern
1: so, and if you miss the dots and link other dots
0: things can be misconstrued
1: to, um, to, to draw whatever dot to dot book picture you want exactly yeah. mm-hmm.
0: so I think the message as ever on this show is be careful what you choose to believe perhaps do a little bit of research if it seems too good to be true, it possibly is
1: Yes, I mean, as a podcast I actually listen to regularly to quote them, credulity is not a virtue.
0: Wise words to end on, I feel.
1: From me as well, amazingly.
0: (laughs) Somebody else's words, so thankfully. (laughs) Otherwise, it wouldn't be believable. It's been a pleasure again, sir. Thank you for coming on. Well,
1: thank you for for having me on, and um, I wish you every success with future episodes.
0: Indeed, and of course, you may well become the most regular presenter (laughs) <laughs> in future if you go on one more episode you will be well, joint up uh, there with Ant
1: we'll throw that out as a challenge to Ant
0: yeah, he think so. up. Um,
1: although since he's away on his honeymoon uh, we'll give him a, a, a break this time round yeah, but...
0: I think it's fair to give him a break when he's on his honeymoon just this once just this yeah. once <laughs> but yeah and the invitation is extended to any other podcaster out there or non-podcaster if you've got something that you are skeptical of, or that you've done a little bit of research into, that you've read somewhere, have always believed, and then found it out to be incorrect or fake, then let me know and I can use it on your behalf, or you can come on and present your own take on whichever story you find.
1: Absolutely. I'd encourage people to do so because, um, you know, the, it's a, a welcoming experience to to be on the show with you and um i think it, it's um worthwhile people chipping in
0: oh why well, thank you sir that's very kind of you glad to have you on again i'm sure we shall thank collaborate you. again in the future i do hope so. and i will see you next time hopefully it won't be another year and a half this time
1: no hopefully not
0: <laughs> see you next time bye-bye
1: take care